My name is Michael Obama Chang. And I feel honored, honored about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey there, and uh, welcome. To Conan O'Brien needs a friend. Uh, we are well into our third season already. Yeah, and uh, having a lot of fun. Really enjoying the guests so far. Very excited about today. Uh, as always, I'm joined by Sona Mavsesian. How are you, Sona? I'm doing very well. Very good. And uh, Mr. Matt Gorley, the producer, you do a fantastic job, and I salute you. Hey, thanks. I salute you back, both of you. Hey. Okay. Well, this is a pretty chipper way to start things. Sure is. Seems weird. Hey, I have a question, which is a lot of people are wondering, you know, how are people staying safe right now? And, and how do you even make a podcast uh, and in a safe way? I would like to emphasize that Sona and I are in the same room, but mm-hmm. we have some distance between us, maybe you could back up a little I bit. Could I know I, I, I could? <laughs> I'm way too close, right? But uh, all the guests uh, are coming to us via Zoom. And Matt, I don't. I haven't seen you in person in a long time. You are well ensconced in your lovely home, uh, and you communicate uh, virtually with us. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, everyone's. We're all doing this uh, as safely as we can. But it still begs the question: Are people being safe outside of this zone? Right. I wore a mask a lot before COVID. Huh. Just yeah, for night prowling and. Just spooking around the neighborhood. <laughs> oh, let's go back there. What, what do you mean? Night prowling. Well, I like, what I like to, used to like to do, and I, I still like to do it now, there's more of an excuse, but I used to like to cover up my face and just sort of prowl around at night. And uh-huh. if someone's not home, go in the home. And I used oh. to try on their clothes and stuff. And it was just a way to be someone else for a little bit and sort of be uninhibited uh, and sort of see how other people lived. I thought it was a really cool way to, to you know, and occasionally they'd come home and I have to scurry out the back. and Or murder them. No, I never did that. Yeah. Oh. Not a, I want to be very clear. I never murdered anybody. I'm just a night prowler. I'm a okay. night prowler who likes to just sort of spook around and, and look at things. And I've been in a lot of your homes, if you're listening right now. <laughs> and um, I've worn your intimate apparel. Let's just say that. And then I put it back. Oh. So if you had any questions. I wonder why my underwear smelled like sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, uh, I should probably, I don't know why I put it on down there. It just doesn't make any sense. Oh, come on. I'd really lather it up. But um, listen, my point is I am safe. That's what we're going to take away from that long digression in which I admitted to being, uh, well, a peeping Tom, a night prowler, a creep, if you will. Uh, But uh, Sona, I worry about you a little bit because I know that you come from a, a very large sort of collective family. Yes. And people probably feel this incredible pressure to gather. Uh, I'm lucky no one wants to hang with me, so I'm fortunate. But you, are you getting, your parents and your relatives understand when you say, hey, hey, don't come over? No, no one understands. No, but I, you know, my mom and dad have to take it seriously because Dede lives with them and he's 97. That's my grandpa. Dede, is that a, is that Greek or Armenian? I don't know. You're part Greek and you're part uh, Armenian. Uh, yeah, I'm a quarter Greek. I'm mostly Armenian. My grandma, one of my grandmas was a Greek. And fun fact about her is her nickname was Tombol, which means chubby. And when she died, 
they put that on her gravestone. Oh my god! Yeah, they so if you go, it's Tumble Movsesian, which is like chubby Movsesian. She was basically <laughs> I'm her, named after her. Her fat shamed nickname was put on her tombstone. Yes, and maybe she was a little chubby <laughs> as a kid. Yeah, like the point is, maybe she was. I'm guessing she grew up like in the 1920s. Yeah, I mean, so she grew yeah. up in like the 1920s or whatever, yeah. and maybe she was a little chunky. Yeah, and they called her, you know, chubby. And then she probably turned into a beautiful woman. Uh, yeah. And then they were like, nope, we're putting it on your gravestone. Well, you, no, were, you were a chunky kid. I don't know who made that call, but that was her nickname was Tumble, which in Turkish means uh, chunky, like okay. chubby little thing. And then uh, when my grandpa died, they were going to change it. But I, her name is, was Sona. And they just didn't want to put the name Sona Movsesian on a gravestone. That's so funny because I picture Sona on a gravestone all the time. Oh, 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 oh my God. What did I reveal? I, I, that, oh, no. That, I made a you dying joke earlier and then I felt bad. This gravestone was for your unhappiness, the death of Sona's unhappiness. <laughs> that's what I meant it to be. And I think that's how everyone took it. Oh, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, you, when you are free of all unhappiness, we're going to make a gravestone to your unhappiness and put Sona on it. And then in oh. some very small letters, unhappiness. Well, that's, I'm not, un, I'm not an unhappy person. I know, but you're still not completely free. I want you to be, <laughs> I want you to be completely blissfully happy the all the time. The way you're trying to save it. I just saved it. Um, <laughs> no, you did I really did. I really did. Oh, wait, a lot of stuff coming in on the internet right now. Oh, this is say? live streaming. Oh. Conan nailed it. This oh. is great. Weird. I don't see you checking anything. Oh, here's a story. This is fantastic. It's in. Uh, that iPad's not. On. It's in variety. Assistant mistakes Conan's wonderful, warm remark for a cruel quip. Oh, this is interesting. This is a review in variety. It's being, it's coming out right now. The red top quipster had a rare moment of uh, genuine kindness towards uh, his assistant, uh, Sonoma Sessian, in which he said he wished her to be free of all misery and he wished that uh, he could build a gravestone to any sad moments she would ever have in the future. She snapped at him. Oh, that's so mean. You want me to die. He tried to clean it up and then she uh, apologizes. There it goes. Yeah. So this is a pretty I apologize? That that's, hasn't happened yet. This is one of those reviews that no, you sell No, whoever the wrote that, that information's wrong. Anyway, I'm going to tell you a story, which is that when I was a kid, uh, one of my uncles uh, had these really big, larger than life uncles, very tall, massive heads, just huge heads. <laughs> Everyone in, you know, Irish people have big heads. Uh, my brothers and sisters and I all have massive heads, like caricature heads, like massive head and then like a body that even though our bodies are big, they can't compete with our heads. But this uncle would come over and uh, he was this larger than life guy and a big deal and a big powerful lawyer in Worcester, Mass. And I don't know if it was because he didn't remember my name or whatever, but he'd call me ham fat. <laughs> And you go like, hey, oh, that's right. You told us. Did this I tell you, was this on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. I think so, but I don't mind it because I just love any story where you get called ham fat. Yeah. Give it and to I us. just had this orange hair that was cut in a bowl. My two front teeth were dead because I fell in the driveway. I had freckles I hated. I was always wearing some hideous 1970s shirt that had been put on me that my brothers owned before me. I was just miserable. And then this guy would come in and go like, hey, look, it's ham fat. <laughs> You're also called pigeon pie. What's with you and foods? I don't know. My mom still calls me pigeon pie. If I call her, she'll go like, oh, hello, pigeon pie. Aww. And I'm like, when I was a kid, I didn't question it. But now I think a pigeon's a dirty, dirty bird. Yeah. That yeah. shits on statues all day. They're filthy yeah. and they're covered with dirt and ash. Yeah. So the, sky rats. They're sky rats. So the idea that you would yeah. grab some of those when they weren't looking, uh, break their necks and shove them into a pie. And then, then <laughs> that's what I would be called. 
It's pretty hilarious. Ham fat is mother. bad. Ham fat was yeah. bad. That's bad. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's, I, I think, I just hope that you and your family, you know, you got to talk to them and say, look, you got to take this seriously. You got to be safe. What? Oh, I know. I know. I know. I know. It sucks. It's, uh, there's a lot of skepticism in, uh, in certain communities and, uh, it has infiltrated my life a little bit. Mm-hmm. But no one's going to be in a viral video yelling at someone. Right, right. They're you know, not like they're, that. They're not, not going to do that. No, no. And, and I will say, your your people are, they really are lovely people. They're they very are. nice. Very uh, no, they are. Good, they really are very people. nice. Yes. They just, you know, don't believe in science. Okay, okay so let's just move it on. Um, Unnecessary to say that. Super spreader, science denier. Uh, what? what? Wait, well, I, I didn't you can't <laughs> do things. You can't. You were in the same room. I just said lovely things about your about your parents. So, so what I oh. snuck into horrible things to say about somebody very quickly, like a ninja. Big deal. Like a ninja? Yeah. Oh, I'm like God. a ninja. I'm very. The least- is Variety covering this one? Yeah. Oh, here it is right here. No. I'm glad you. Oh, this <laughs> is actually Hollywood Reporter. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're getting yeah. these uh, streamed live. <laughs> Conan O'Brien, known as one of the warmest and kindest of hosts. What? Went way out of his way to praise Sonam, assistant Sonam Obsessian's parents as being, quote, lovely. Uh, but uh, O'Brien soldiered on and continued to say how lucky he was to work with such lovely people before uh, quickly muttering super spreader science denier. Yeah. Uh, uh, terms which Conan put out there for the health and safety of all those listening in the podcast community. Oh, come on. God, this is a great article. Oh, it says it gives me seven stars out of five. What? Yes, which is impossible. And Does it say we need to wrap this up and get to the episode? It says O'Brien then started to go on a little bit too long, despite the fact that he had a wonderful guest on that day. O'Brien was then reminded by his annoying producer, Matt Gorley, <laughs> formerly resident uh, of a uh, living under a bridge uh, in the downtown LA area until he was saved by the kindly O'Brien. <laughs> Who gave him a microphone and a headset and said- Kidnapped by a night prowler. <laughs> I was out night prowling. I was out night prowling with my mask. Uh, anyway, my um, when I met Matt under a bridge and made him- a, you know, Why were you under the bridge? That's where you lived. Tell them, right? No, but why were Good you- Good improv is yes and. Weren't you a creep living under a bridge, Matt? Yes and. I was going to say yes and, but then you added the creep part. Yeah. Yes and. So you were some creep living under a bridge. Yes and I quit. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad you quit that horrible lifestyle and clean yourself up to come join me. Um, listen, we can't waste time. And we shan't. We can't waste time. That's all <laughs> we've been on. doing. We can't uh, waste time. And you know what? I blame both of you. I What? You were no, reading No, you're the red top time waster. I yeah. am a focused podcaster. I'm a broadcaster. Oh you know what? God. A lot of podcasters are just podcasters. But you know what I am? I began as a broadcaster and then branched into podcasting. So no one's got their eye on the old time clock more than this guy. I am a laser beam focus that will bring us to the promised land. And that promised land starts now. I am very excited about our guest today. He's a hilarious comedian who became co-head writer of Saturday Night Live in 2017. He's also one of the hosts of Weekend Update. And uh, I am thrilled he is with us today. I do admire this gentleman. Michael Che, welcome. 
Most times I'm talking to someone on the podcast, uh, it's someone I already know. Mm-hmm. There've been, I think there's been three instances, you included, where I don't really believe we've met. We may have met at some point. We did. Do you meet. think we've met? We, we did meet. We've definitely met. And you would never, ever, ever even track or remember where. So I could do whatever I want with this story. But we right. definitely, <laughs> definitely met a long time ago. Before didn't I, was, I didn't I cut your face? <laughs> yeah. your face with a razor. You sent me. A I bunch remember of really well. <laughs> just I went. There was a day where I was in a. I was in a weird mood, and I was slashing yeah, people, I and I think was, I slashed you. You was auditioning for the Bloods, I think it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's an initiation, and I saw this guy, and the Bloods really didn't want me. I'm going to be honest with not. you. The Bloods. They said it's not a good fit, and I said I'll show you, fellas. And I'm I, a real good slasher. <laughs> I pulled a lot of strings to get you that audition. I really did. I, I know, I know. And then that's how I repaid you. You helped get me into the Bloods, and I, in all of New York City, I had so many people to slash, and I went after the guy that made the introduction, and I feel so bad. I'm, I apologize. Well, Again, I apologize. What really happened? What really happened, before I did comedy, I used to make t-shirts and sell them on the street. And mm-hmm. you bought one. And I remember. No, really? I, yeah, right on Prince Street and Wooster. I don't remember what it was, but I used to like kind of draw these pictures and put them on T-shirts. And you were walking down. And I never forget because um, like you're, you're I don't know if you know this about yourself, but you're pretty unmistakable. <laughs> yes, I, I'm told. There's I'm told. Yeah, it's. I've always said it's like me and Big Bird from Sesame Street. When we walk around in sunglasses, everyone does. We're not fooling anybody. Yeah, you're like White Shack. Like it's definitely you. Whenever it's you. <laughs> but you bought a shirt from me, and I was thrilled. It was like, it was, oh, that's nice. It was one of my favorite uh, moments being out there like that. And uh, yeah, you were very nice and kind, and you. You were just like, oh, you like the shirt, you gave me money, and then you left. No tip. Oh, that's cool. No, well, I don't tip for shirts, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, when was the last time you, you ever do that? You go to a store and you buy, you know, you say like, oh, I like this shirt, I'm going to buy it, and here's a little something extra for you. I don't do no, that in never. a store, so I don't know. I didn't know that that was the custom, but. Uh, well, it wasn't a you know. store. It was a, it was a kid on the streets, man, with a table. I was, looked real sad. I made sure to look as sad as possible. I had cold in my eye. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, and you, do you no, really I think no. I bought the shirt. I bought the shirt, and then and now clearly I committed some faux pas by not adding an extra, you know, uh, an extra tip. No, so I, I feel no tip, no feel, life advice. You didn't offer me a job or an internship or nothing. It was just oh god, no, no, I can't shirt. do that. <laughs> can't do that. I thought it was, you know, I thought we had a good business exchange, and uh, and now suddenly I'm getting all this shit. For not saying, come with me, young man. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for you to save my life. Give me we're going to fight man. crime together. That's <laughs> 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 a great origin story. Yeah, I know. Let's change the story to, I said, follow me. I'll show you all about comedy. And uh, and then we went and lived on a mountaintop. Um, now, I have so many questions. First of all, I am very, uh, very excited to, quote, meet you, even though we've technically met, but... Um, you've got, you've had such an impressive career at such a young age. I mean, and what? you're, yeah, you've done a lot. This, you've done see, a lot. Anybody else saying that it would make sense, but like you're, 
Conan O'Brien. Like you've done everything that I've done, but like a lot better. I don't think that's true. Well, you went to Harvard. Yeah, please trust. Let's not load me in with those people. (laughs) Those people ran the Vietnam War. Okay. (laughs) They they were the ones that said, we've got a really good idea. Let's get into Indochina and get involved and start bombing the shit out of stuff. So no, I don't put, I don't consider that a feather in my cap. Let's just put it that way. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome and historic though as an snl writer coming in the names you hear about conan o'brien like you know that you know that's like a that's the footsteps you follow the, the legacy yeah. of adam mckay conan o'brien jack handy all, you know, all these people yeah that, so people used to talk about conan no tip o'brien that was really- <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Word got around pretty quickly. He's yeah, nice to people and he'll buy your product, but he's not going to give you a little something on top. Um, no tip O'Brien sounds like a completely different thing. That seems like a nickname <laughs> you get at the showers. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It was a war wound. It was a war wound. I jumped on a grenade. I threw my crotch on a grenade to save the battalion. Uh, you know, I, I am very impressed because I really, uh, I, I think you're terrific on Stone Out Live. And you were a head writer on the show, which is incredibly impressive. I was not a head writer when I was there. So you win that one. No one made me head writer. Barely. I'm barely a head writer. There's three head writers. I'm, I'm one of them. And uh-huh. I do the least amount of work, certainly. Okay. I take the most credit. That's hey. <laughs> that's how you. That's how you get by in this business. I take the most credit. Uh, but uh, I find uh, and and I am very impressed with your stand up. I just think you're oh. absolutely fantastic stand up, and you're such a good joke writer. And that's like one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about is I really love the way you write and the jokes that you come up with. And I'm curious, when did you know you had a brain for that, that you could do that? I'll tell you, my experience was I was very intimidated. I used to think I can make my friends laugh and I can sort of think of funny things on the fly and make people laugh, but I'm not a writer. I used to think that I don't write. I'm not really a writer. And it took me a while to realize that's what writing is, is coming up with the idea. Then you just have to put it down. Did you have that block? That was a block for me. I I think um, it was the opposite for me. It was more like, I think I can say funny things, but I've never performed before. So Mm -hmm. when I started comedy, I went to an open mic just because I wanted to try comedy. And I was like so intimidated about being on stage. I've never heard my voice in a microphone before that, you know, like I, I never really performed. And so going to the open mic and seeing people try it and be bad at it was like, all right, well, if they got courage to be bad at it. I could at least be bad at it, too, you know, just to see what it feels like. And I don't remember what I said for maybe the first six months of doing stand up. But I remember the first time I got up there and being on stage and hearing my voice in a microphone and seeing a crowd like, well, crowd open mic. So 11 people looking at their phones. But, <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, it was, but seeing like the people and, and kind of having that stage, it felt natural. So that kind of came first. And then the jokes really was like, I, I always believed 
something that I was saying was funny. I just thought it was all about how do I make you see it the way I see it? Mm-hmm. You know, almost like being in a different country and um, you don't know the language and you're trying to look for directions. That's how I look at joke writing. Right. Like, I know what I'm trying to tell you and you have no idea what I'm saying. So I'm just trying to say things that we can agree on so that you kind of get the gist of what I'm trying to say. You, you know? have it in your mind and in your mind, it's really funny. And then the trick yes. is how do you get them to see it exactly the way you do? And when they do that, that's when you get the electrical current. That's when like yes. it, they're inside your head and they're experiencing it exactly the way you are. And they're laughing. And to me, that's the face of God. Like that, that yeah. is, that is when I know there's a power in the universe because I mean, it's the only thing that really, I mean, there's a lot of nice things, as you know, there's a lot of nice things that come along with, with being in this business, but I would still do it. I would do it for free if I could still get that fix, you know? For free, for sure. I mean, I, I started out paying to get on stage. Yeah, it was like literally you'd have to pay like $7 or something like that to do three minutes and maybe get a laugh because it was maybe the worst audience you would possibly ever see. But yeah, it, that feeling when you do get a laugh, it'll, it'll take you through anything. It, it's, it's so much fun. And I, you know, as a comedy fan, you, when you watch kind of your inner audience and you see a comedian kill, it's the greatest feeling until you've been on stage and you're making all those people laugh and it, and everyone laughing it just it just it's a weird thing to explain but it's a lot of fun yeah and then what happens is once you are up there doing it and you're killing the next time you go and you sit in an audience and you watch someone else kill you're thinking no those could be my, <laughs> those could be my laughs. Damn it! Why aren't I up there? Yeah. Oh, I saw that one coming. Didn't you see that one coming? I did. And then no, people are saying, really "Sir, is. sir, please sit down. You're ruining the show." And uh, <laughs> Conan, yeah. why, why are you being such an asshole? Well, I'm just saying he's not that funny. I don't know why. And then you, they hustle you out, and you're not allowed to go back. I don't know if you've had right. that experience. This is maybe I've said too much. I mean, the waitress is like, "That guy didn't even tip." Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. No, it's, uh, well, we have some similarities. We both come, I I mean, I I always look for uh, what's the commonality. And I think you're, are you one of seven? I'm one of six kids. Are you one of seven? Uh, Yeah, I'm one of seven. My parents didn't have cable either. <laughs> I'm the last. Are you the youngest? <laughs> I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. I was the anonymous guy in the middle that was like, "You will know my name one day." Because <laughs> I really got the, I really did have the impression they didn't quite know I, who I was sometimes. Because we all looked exactly the same. Were you all like super tall? Not all of us, but I think most of us are pretty tall. Most of us are pretty tall. Okay. I, I'm like one of the tallest. Myself and my brother Justin are are like six four. I mean, I wasn't tall. Most of my childhood, I don't associate with being tall because I got tall really late. I had a growth spurt really late and suddenly became six four and put on no weight. It was still the same weight. So I was, when I was about 17, suddenly I became, or 17 and a half, I became six four. And I was 155 pounds. <laughs> and I can have, 
I can have an engineer draw the, that for you. It's horrible. It doesn't work on paper. Like I kept falling over <laughs> and collapsing. And Not it was good with wind. No, no. Wind was a real problem. I'd often wake up in like a haystack hundreds of miles from home, <laughs> not, not knowing what happened. But um, yeah, we had, uh, and I, you know, I think we both grew up in the projects. Um, <laughs> now, now correct, me if, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael. Projects means- I so well, want to believe that. No, pro- <laughs> just correct me if I'm wrong. Projects means well-to-do suburb, right? right. Is that, is it? Yeah. That's what I've, I've always thought. That's why I always tell people, I'm from the projects too. And then we start, <laughs> they seem confused because that was yeah, my these, definition of projects growing up. <laughs> these, these projects don't work out so well. These, uh, <laughs> I don't know who's great in this project. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. You grew up in, in New York? I grew up in Manhattan. I grew up in uh, Lower East Side. And then, my, and then we moved to Jersey City. So we thought Jersey City was a suburb, though, when we when we got there. I didn't because it was such a culture shock of New York City. Period. New York City, period. Whether it's a product or not, everything's on top of each other. You know, it's just yep, like, yep. no matter where you live, you probably live around 300 people, you know, like yep, just yep. in a very immediate radius. And, uh, you know, Jersey, we lived in a two a two family house and it was like some old white people like living around. It was like, this is we must be rich now. There's stairs. Um, but it was like. Not, you know, it was probably worse, <laughs> but you don't really know that because, you know, you get a, a decent block in a different town and it feels like the suburbs if you're from, if all you know is the city, you know? Right, right. But um, you don't know you don't have much until you start meeting kids with a lot. Yes. And so I went to high school at a, a performing arts high school, uh, LaGuardia Music and Art. And then, you know, it was it was a, the best performing arts high school maybe in the country, but, it's, you know, it's free for the, for, for the city kids. And um, so you'd meet kids of all walks of life. You'd meet kids that was way poorer than you, and you'd meet kids that were way richer than you, you know, like super rich. And, you know, people from the up, uh, Upper West Side, people from Queens, people from Brooklyn, people from all over the place. So you kind mm-hmm. of meet the whole city because it's a, it's a public school, essentially, but it's just everybody kind of has some talent. And uh, that's when I started to kind of get to realize, oh, wait a minute, we grew up kind of messed up. <laughs> but but also, but it's also kind of fun. You're like, wow, I, I made it to where you made it to and I didn't have what you have. So you right. feel this sort of a, um, it's okay. You know, like it's, it's sad. You, you wish you grew up differently, but also you're like, but I made it. I still made it to where you got to and, and I didn't have everything. So, you know, it wasn't all bad, I guess. Well, I guess one question I would have is now you've had this really incredible success. And how does your upbringing or the way you grew up influence how you deal with that? Well, particularly with comedy, that's true because <laughs> nobody thinks you're funny, you know, that you grew up with. They're like, oh, you ain't that funny, you know, whatever. Like, I'm funnier than you. I, I can make, you know, so it's, it's never, you never really feel that accomplished around those friends because they always remember when you weren't funny, you know? Yeah. But, um, no, because it's, it's, sub, it's subjective and it's like, so it's subjective. Funny. no one grew up with Michael Jordan and said, well, he was a shitty athlete. Then, <laughs> right. That's right. just like, you know, or you referenced Shaq earlier. No one was like, like Shaq basketball. I grew yeah. up with him, and you're like, no, what the fuck are you talking? Yeah, he, sure, he was eight feet tall as a child, and he was, you know, but yeah. but it's so clear and it's so objective. But comedy, yeah. people can always anybody can say. 
I don't know. Yes. I've got a mechanic that's funnier than you. The person who just installed my gas lines funnier than you. And could be true. Could be true. Also, <laughs> could also, be true. Yes, it's possible. I mean, that, that's the craziest thing that I think of. Like the only reason that I got the opportunities that I got is because I really had nothing to lose. I was very unemployed. You know, I, I was getting like odd jobs here and there, making very little money. So I could go to do open mics every day at six o'clock because I wasn't at work, you know? So there's, I, I think about that all the time. Like if I would have gotten a job to make 40 grand, 30 grand, like, you know, it's a solid job that I probably would have been underqualified for at that time, I would have never tried comedy because I would have been too afraid to risk that. So I wouldn't have followed that dream to do this because I was protecting something that I really don't want to do, you know? So it's a very kind of strange thing. There's a lot of people who don't take the chance on something that they want to really do just because they're, they're afraid of jeopardizing the thing that's making them miserable, you know, right, a lot of, right. in a lot of ways, you know, unless, you know, some people love doing what they do, but I wouldn't have loved that. You know, I, I used to hate being a waiter or being a bar back or, or, working in a cubicle it would drive me nuts and i just wanted to find something that i could do that wasn't that because it just it felt wrong it felt like a i felt like a cat in shoes you know but yeah if i had it i wouldn't have let it go because that's that's one of the downsides of growing up the way i grew up it was like you have to do something now because i don't we don't want you to be a bum because it's right. so easy to just be a bum you know being a bum meaning just no ambition or you know something you know like that was like the biggest fear and uh doing comedy it was very scary for a lot of people it was like i think he's about to be a bum he's about to be one of those people that <laughs> just is trying to live his dream but that's and that's not a, a knock on you know the people i grew up with it was just more so a fear a common fear because we didn't know so many people that made it out so it was hard to see it work if you've never seen it work and i think now maybe people coming up you know from my family or from you know my neighborhoods will believe in people who try a little bit more because they there's an example that it works sometimes, you know? Yes. And that's how the projects is exactly like the suburbs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically, I, I knew that that's where we were going to end up. That's really, there's no difference. There's no difference as far as I can see. And yeah. I know there's some people out there listening who thinks that I'm in some kind of a bubble or I've lost touch. <laughs> but my butler assures me that I... I'm on point, and I know what's happening out there. So let's not have any of those comments, because that's a huge waste of time for everybody. Hey, let's talk about Sound Out Live, because that's something we have in common. And I remember showing up and them saying, okay, uh, oh, go in that room. Steve Martin's the host this week. He's, uh, he's in there, and go pitch him an idea. And I literally yes. thought, wait a minute, you don't even know who I am and you're having me yeah. go pitch to Steve Martin? What if I've got a gun? You know, what if... <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I wouldn't what if just I meet, got a gun? Yeah, like, I wouldn't just meet what? some 24-year-old and go like, get in there and talk to one of the biggest stars in the world. What if I say crazy shit? Oh what if God. I, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I couldn't believe... That that was you go from zero to 150. That was my experience, That's and it's terrifying, hilarious. but but cool. What was you? What, did you have that a similar feeling? Almost, 
almost verbatim. Like literally my first, cause I came in as a guest writer in the middle of the season. They were doing this thing where they were bringing in, they were just looking for new voices and they were bringing in two writers a week. And I happened to be one of them because um, I saw Jost and Jost asked me, Colin Jost, who was head writer at the time, he was like, hey, we're doing this thing where we're bringing in guest writers, getting in, you know, just fresh faces if you'd like to do it. So I came in and my first day, I don't know what a guest writer, I don't know what that means. I don't know if I'm being like an intern. I'm thinking it's like a kind of a glorified intern position right, for a couple right. of weeks. Like I'm going to shadow Jost and maybe pitch some pitch on some stuff. But it's like Monday and they're like, all right, you know, everybody comes in and meets you. And I'm thinking I'm going to get bagels soon or, you know, get Keenan's coffee or something like that. Like, I don't know. I literally, they're like, we're going in the Lauren's office. And I'm like, Lauren, which Lauren? Like, who? There's two Lauren's? Like, no, no, be Lauren. Like, we're going in this office. And uh, Kevin Hart was the was the host. He was, yeah. it was his first time hosting. And. He was the biggest comedian in the world at that time. Sure. Like the hottest guy in the world. And uh, maybe still is. And uh, we walk in and they're like, well, you got to pitch two ideas. You got to pitch an idea to Kevin Hart. And, uh, you know, in front of your new boss, maybe, possibly, and the entire Saturday Night Live cast and writer team. And I'd never written a sketch before. I think I pitched them. You're the, <laughs> it was like, oh, it, it was a, uh, uh, you're the richest black man in New York, Dwayne Reed. And he laughed. <laughs> but it was like something we could never do because it was like, no one knows what Dwayne Reed is outside of New York. But That's it was a like, funny idea. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, there's no white Dwaynes. And, uh, those two weeks, after those two weeks, I did, uh, I, I, I did the, those two episodes. I, I did him and then, uh, Justin Timberlake was the next week. And then I got the job after that because I got a sketch right. on. But it was so intimidating because I'd never did sketch before. Like I didn't. Yeah. Write. So you get a sketch and then you find out it get, it goes through read through and it does well. And you find out that maybe. on thing ever. Yeah. Describe that for me. First of all, it was kind of the it was, it was the most classic kind of SNL getting a sketch on occurrence in that we had worked all night, maybe maybe like six, seven hours on a sketch idea that got absolutely no laughs. And then the one that I kind of wrote really quickly because we needed two and I wrote in like maybe an hour, got all the laughs. And it was just like one of those things that if the comedy comes fast, it's probably going to work. If it takes a very long time, it's probably not going to work. But it was Justin Timberlake's fifth time hosting. So it was the five timers club, Mm -hmm. as you would know about. And it's literally... Tom Hanks is there. Dan Aykroyd's there. Like it was like so many people there, and and the Lonely Island guys came back because they they were off and they they came back to the show to do something with Justin. Steve Martin was there because they did Wild and Crazy Guys with the. It was like it was the nuttiest week. It was almost like a finale show or a Christmas show kind of kind of feel. And um, I got a sketch on the first sketch that that they did at the table bombed so hard and then the sketch that i wrote was like a commercial parody killed and it was almost like a prank it felt like they were making fun of me because they were laughing at it and i knew that this was a very dumb idea and also that you just thought i wasn't funny but it like that's it's just like kind of a scary kind of yes oh my god this is gonna 
this might get on TV. I might get a sketch on Saturday Night Live. And then it was a pre-tape. So I had to like, you know, like, as, as a writer on the show, when you're doing a pre-tape, you're very hands-on. It's not like, a, you know. Yes, yes. You're the producer. Writer just literally producing the sketch. You're talking to the director. You're making choices. You're, you have to be there. So it, it was just this bizarre thing of, like you said, you don't feel worthy. You don't feel like you should be there. You feel like this should be someone else right now. But it was so much fun because it's such a machine that they will protect you if, if it's a good idea or if it's an idea that, they, that we all believe in they'll protect you and, and figure out how to get it produced and how to make it work on the show but you know they also make sure that it keeps the integrity that you intended it to have so it was like it was kind of a you know again like high school you're like oh i can do this like i yeah i can i can i can try like you know this it might not be the best but I can I can absolutely take a shot and it, and you you feel confident in being able to take a shot. Well, to me the magic moment is you exactly what you said, which is it doesn't have to be agony. And in fact, I've heard songwriters like some of the most famous songwriter performers in the world have said, I think Elton John once said, all the great songs, I wrote them in like 15 minutes, you know, yeah, it just came to literally. me. And I've had the exact same feeling when I have labored over something and there's like nine of us and we're grinding and grinding and grinding yeah. and pushing and pushing and pu- and then you read through and it, all you can hear, there's no laughing. So you hear the pages turning <laughs> and you can also see, you can see Lauren Michaels looking ahead to see how much longer is this fucking oh, thing? Yeah. How many more pages is how this? Many more? And, then, and he's looking ahead and he's taking his long <laughs> sips of water and looking ahead and you're realizing, yeah, no, this is a 15-page oh. salute that we wrote. When you, can, when you can hear the gulps, you hear every gulp that he takes. You're like, gulp, gulp, gulp. 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 Like, oh, and then, you know, God. cut to interior. Again, the Martians have still not found the magic seed and muscle shift and you, and you look ahead and you're like there's 10 more pages to go and if they're I've not always, laughing now it doesn't get better I've you always know? campaigned I've always campaigned for a, a, a like a call it button like literally yes, just, that's so you great. just need a buzzer to be like look eh, I'm gonna just call it right there you guys didn't like the first turn there's 12 more just like it it's gonna get worse just, let's just move on we're all tired let's no no that's a, that's a fan, that would improve the show and the quality oh of life of the show God. so much if the writer if if the rule was whoever sketch it was, this is so perfect. So it's like okay, we're going to read this sketch. It's written by uh, Michael Che and Conan O'Brien. They wrote it together. Um, you know, uh, it's called Doctor Sneakers, and uh, <laughs> and, and, and 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 they give Dr. us sneakers. <laughs> they give us each. Trust me, it's a good idea, Michael. And, and your name's on it, so you better fucking get behind it. But they give us each like a buzzer, and we each have a buzzer because our sketch is being read. And then it's like yeah. Dr. Sneakers. And then he says the line that he's going to say 150 times that's bound to kill. These ain't sneakers. I have seen sneakers. Nothing. And then he says it again. And then he says it again. And then you and I look at each other and we just nod and go, eh, hit the buzzer. We're out. Just guys. We're out. Just keep going. It's okay. We'll, well, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll figure, we'll figure it out. It out. But everyone would be like, fine. And they would they would move ahead. But you're absolutely right. It would right. keep that's- morale up. It would keep morale up where people are like, you know what? 
Yeah, that was bad, but also you know it's bad, and we can just keep going. Yeah, and you saved us from having to go through 60 pages of Dr. Sneakers, you know. <laughs> Dr. Sneakers. Now, on a side I, note. I love Dr. Sneakers. Do you want to write it Do you want to write it up with me? I'll write it up with you. Um, it's like you said, in 15 seconds, you just come up with Dr. Sneakers. It's on every t-shirt at the NBC store. It's just literally. <laughs> when you get so your we we yeah we we're so confident in the sketch we have we're so confident in the sketch we have the t-shirts made before we even pitch the sketch and we get them in the store people are like what the fuck is Doctor Sneakers oh trust me Michael and I it's gonna be huge just start getting those out there and um, yeah that would that was gonna be yelling Doctor Sneakers at you at the airport all the time no matter where you go hey Doctor Sneakers yes yes just, yeah yeah please, it was uh, thank you I'm eating dinner thank you. Yeah, please, please. I'm with my wife, with my kids. No Dr. Sneakers right now. Hey, uh, Dr. Sneakers didn't tip. <laughs> I've got to live that down. You know, that story started out as Conan. You were nice. You were kind. You bought one of my shirts from me. And then you, just at the very end, just as we're about to, the sun is about to set on this beautiful story of kindly Conan. It's, hey, you didn't tip. Didn't tip. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I was uh, saving up. I was saving up. Saving up my money for a rainy day. You know, it's only a matter of time until your check engine light comes on, which could equal an expensive repair bill, and a new engine can cost up to $6,000. Don't I know it? But this is why you need this product I'm about to mention right now. Okay. CarShield. Mm. CarShield offers plans with low monthly rates that you can pay for your expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. It's so nice to have that protection of Car Shield. I know. I believe. That's my belief. Some people have other beliefs, maybe religious beliefs. I think Car Shield. Car Shield plans provide protection <laughs> on up to 5,000 major parts and systems, including items like transmission, mm. engine, even your entertainment system. Mm. Just call Car Shield and choose the mechanic to do the work. Car Shield administrators will handle the rest and save you money. Look, I saw your car today. You've got a beautiful car, but you've got a haul your family around in this yeah. car. This is a vital piece of machinery for you. You need Car Shield. I do. And you know, I you know I don't take care of my cars very well. So Car Shield it would definitely come in. You know, and also with their A rating from the BBB, don't ask me. Car Shield is the name you can trust to save you money on covered auto repairs. Now's the time to make the smart choice and protect yourself from the sky high auto repair bills. Visit carshield.com slash Conan. Save twenty percent today. Again that's carshield.com slash Conan to save 20%. Visit carshield.com slash Conan to lock in your price today. Um, you know, I want to ask you about something that I think we connect on. At least I've heard this about you. I've noticed it definitely about your standup, which is a big part of your job at Saturday Night Live and uh, probably also The Daily Show is to do political humor or tell jokes about politics. But you said it's not your passion that you love finding human things to talk about that aren't necessarily just political. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, just, I always feel like... Um, I don't think that people have to agree with you to think you're funny, you know, yep. it just yep. as a comedy fan. So I don't try to put out, uh, 
I'm not telling the joke because I want you to agree with me. I'm telling the joke because I want you to laugh at it, you know? Mm-hmm, that was, mm-hmm. The people that I liked, I rarely agreed with, you know, like Archie Bunker. I didn't, I didn't think he was right, but I thought he was funny, you know? And I, I think mm-hmm. when I approach political material or content, I, I try to kind of come from the perspective of what does it sound like to somebody learning about all of this for the first time, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and and doesn't have an agenda. It's just trying to make sense of it in their brain. And there's something that I used to love to watch, like my grandmother do. My grandmother passed away recently. Beautiful woman, huge bigot. And uh, she, <laughs> <laughs> but she was really she, she was. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She was the biggest bigot. But she was so funny. Lo- loving woman, loving woman. But, you know, she's 80, 90 years old, you know, they grew up in a different time where stuff like that was true. And they they didn't (laughs) trust Puerto Ricans that much. Like, that was just a thing. Listen, that wasn't in the Constitution, but it should have been. But um, no, she she was was so funny. She was so, so, so funny. But everything that you, everything she said that was funny, she didn't know was funny. It would just be her trying to sound normal. (laughs) And it would just be the funniest thing you've ever heard. And I always thought there was something charming about people, no matter whether you agreed or disagreed, them trying to make sense of it is where the funny lies. Yes. Yes. And that's also where the human lies, because you're like, man, I remember not knowing that, too. So I can't really be mad at you because there was a time where I didn't know either. And I could only imagine what this must sound like to you without any other context. So that's what you're kind of laughing at. You're not laughing that it's right or wrong. You're laughing that it's just silly and funny. And so that's kind of my approach to that kind of thing. But I just I do feel like a lot of, and that's also not not to not just because you're here, but that's also been what I love about your comedy on, on your show is that I've never I never feel like you're preaching to us as as audience. You're never like saying this is the way the world needs to be. You're getting the laugh. You're trying to get the laugh. And it's a it's a pure way that it doesn't you can tell it's not that you don't care it's that you're not you're there to make people have a good time no matter how they feel about you right you know right and as i think that's important sometimes that gets lost when everybody is up there to you know change the world almost i always liked coming at it from i'm down here in the muck with everybody else and i'm yeah. not i'm not better than anybody else in fact i might be worse <laughs> so yeah. i like my comedy right. coming out of that and then that was all the stuff that i loved growing up even the old stuff from like the 30s and 40s like people that they're the lowest of the low whether it's the three stooges or it's the marx brothers or the you know uh wc fields like they're they're at the bottom of the ladder you know or even the classic yes. silent people like Buster Keaton, they're at the bottom. And yeah. I always They're I always, never invited to the party. They're always crashing it or yes, yeah. <laughs> working it. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I always think, well, that's I always liked that. And I always pref- I like the silly stuff. And I also think it endures. It absolutely does. You know, it's really interesting to me because not too long ago I watched your this a stand-up special that you did and and it was fascinating because I could have sworn you had made it two days ago. But I realized it was because your approach was you were writing classic, really good jokes oh. that are eternal. When you did 
uh, a chunk on Black Lives Matter, which was fantastic. There's no way anybody could watch that and not think, oh, Michael wrote this at the beginning of the pandemic, right after George Floyd. And it's the perfect statement about this. And then you realize this was written uh, in 2016 and performed in 2016. How the fuck did he do that? That's insane. That's one of my re- reasons why I like to write about kind of race stuff is because it, it always holds, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, if I write a joke about racism, I know it's going to be there next year too. Yeah. I mean, that's, and look, it's like, it's like, it's, I, I write those race jokes for the same reason Mariah Carey wrote all I want for Christmas. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always going to play. Oh my God. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's always gonna be there it's gonna be Christmas next year too you know, you know what's so amazing You. this is a case in point of you just said something that is indelibly sad which is race jokes are always going to be relevant and, and then be immediately had us howling because you said it's the same thing as Mariah Carey's Christmas songs and suddenly yeah. I'm laughing at one of the saddest things anyone said to me uh, in a while because um, it's it true. Is, I know. It's I know. True. I know. It's uh, it, it, stuff like that. It's like that's kind of the weird position that you're in as somebody like that tells those kinds of jokes or that says those types of things. Where you're trying to tell people, look, this is if you now clean this up, this is what you can expect. Mm-hmm. And up until that happens, people say, well. Why didn't you say something? You know what I mean? You're like, we've been saying it for years. We've been writing these jokes. When I wrote in 2016, it wasn't like I just came up with it that day because I was looking in the future. I was talking about what happened, you know what I mean? Right, Five right. years then, you know, like this, that was a culmination of that. So it's, this is something that we've always been talking about and it's something we've always felt. And we're trying to make it, we're trying to make you see it the way we're seeing it for the first time. So, kind of getting back to the first thing we were saying, talking about in the joke structure, we're trying to make you see it the way we see it. We're trying to say it as plainly as the way we understand it. And sometimes it still takes a while for people to, oh, that's what you mean? I guess that does make sense. You know what I mean? But like even five years after the fact. Right. Well, I think even today it's common. I'll, I'll just speak for myself. Like, it's not just a realization. It's a constantly having to realize again and again and again and again and again when people tell you it's always been this way and then realize it again and then realize it again, you know, and it's just, what are you drinking there? What do you got? This is just iced tea. This is, I don't know if you do sponsors, but this is peach iced tea. <laughs> well, if we did have a sponsor. I'm they, just kidding. It's you, whiskey. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> You know, and by the way, I've overlooked the fact that you're wearing a Yankee cap uh, throughout this. Uh, hey, throughout this man, it's thing. okay. Listen, listen, listen. Somebody's got to win championships. <laughs> <laughs> you guys do what you do, and we win championships. You know, oh, Red Sox have done all right recently. But. You know, it's so yeah, funny. I grew up like the Yankee cap. Whenever the Red Sox would play in Yankee Stadium and the game was on TV, we would watch it. And I was, we were all so scared of New York because we heard all these rumors that if someone wore a Red Sox cap uh, in Yankee Stadium, 
they would murder you and the police wouldn't investigate. And it was like, that was a thing I really believed when I was a kid that, that you <laughs> so was like, crazy. well, yeah, no, it was crazy. And I, you know, I was, I was a kid, you know, right, 25, right. 26. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I was a kid. I was, I was, but I remember people in school, like other kids in school saying like, no, they'll, they'll murder. Cause you know, in the seventies, New York was, you know, you, all these movies were out like Death Wish and Warriors where yeah, yeah, it was yeah. this lawless place where gangs wearing Yankee yeah. caps, you know, uh, and, <laughs> time, and, yeah. and weird face paint <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and full Yankee uniforms. That's the movie Warriors yeah. uh, where, where, you know, and, and people were murdering and the police were just going, we can't stop it. It's too much murder. But we thought that's what we heard is that like no one from Boston can go there because they'll find out you're from Boston and you'll be murdered. That's it. So it was triggering me, the Yankee cap. I, I will tell you, I did, a, I did a show. One of the first shows I ever did in Boston was at a place. Oh, man, I can't remember the name of the place, but it, w- it used to turn into a, a nightclub. It would be like a comedy club and then it turned into a nightclub like right <laughs> after the comedy show. It was right downtown. I can't remember the name of it. It's, it's going to drive me nuts. But uh, I was wearing the Yankee cap and these guys were just staring through me, like literally trying yeah, to yeah. set me on fire with their eyes. And and I couldn't figure out why up until like 35 minutes into the set. I'm like, what is your problem? Like, what are you guys not having? Because you haven't laughed once. You're just staring at me. It's like, so with the hat. And I was like, oh. I had to take my hat off to look no. at it. And I was like, a Uh-oh. Yankee hat? Like, come yeah. on, man. Really? That's why you don't like me? It's not nothing to do with the goat fucking joke? It has to be... <laughs> Can you say that? No, we liked the goat... <laughs> no, the goat fucking joke was good. We liked it. It was very well constructed. But the Yankee cap is something we can't get around. No, it is ridiculous. You know, the thing they about... They were so mad at me for wearing a Yankee hat. I was like, are you serious? But you know crazy. what? That That is a Boston thing um, that... Uh, that is a Boston thing where everybody in Boston wears a Boston Red Sox cap. And it's so redundant because you're like, literally you land and everyone there is wearing a Boston Red Sox cap. And you're like, we know, I understand that we that's know, the team. Dude. We know. I got it. We knew it from the, from you holding that Dunkin' nice coffee. We knew, <laughs> we know where you're from. <laughs> in your Carhartt jacket. We know, man, we know. <laughs> But it's this constant, like, you know we're from Boston, right? And you know the Red Sox are our team, right? Go Sox. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, we got it, bro. No, I I outgrew that at a very young age. And, That's why uh, I always laugh at Boston, because they're always like, you know, we're, re- we're really a liberal city. I'm like, really? You, you'd curb stop me if I was wore the wrong baseball team hat, but you're liberal. You're liberal, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, well, you seem very nice, though. No. <laughs> no, I got out. I got out. I escaped. Uh, I escaped at a young age, and I didn't go back. Uh, I will say this about Boston, and and you know I'm not just pandering because everything's shut down, so um, I can't perform anywhere even if I wanted to. But <laughs> Boston is easily one of my favorite cities to do comedy in. Oh yeah, great it's comedy town. So it's an amazing comedy town. I love performing in Boston. It's because it's it's those people. When you come to the show, they're there to laugh. Like, it's uh, something about working, working, working class cities. They're there to laugh. They got a babysitter for the night. They got, you know what I mean? Like, this is yeah. their night to be out, and they're there to have a good time. You can, you can hit them with anything if it's funny. And they'll let you know this isn't good. 
if it ain't good, you know, like they'll let you know this is boring. If it's boring, if somebody's funnier in the audience than you are on stage, give them the mic because we'll be on their side. We're just here to have a good ass time. So it's it's an honest, funny, funny, funny city and a great place to like really perform. If you want to really test your material, I, I love going to Boston, Chicago, like there's certain cities that you're like, oh, OK, this is where they get it. This is another invention you should have next to your, along with your uh, buzzer for the Sarnet Live We're Out <laughs> sketch. The Velcro uh, patch that goes over your your Yankee logo. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just, you and you keep what it in your pocket. And when you touch down, yeah, you just put the Velcro patch on and everyone's like, he gets it. And then, yeah, yeah it comes right off and goes back in your pocket when you get back on the shuttle. You, ever, you ever do this thing? I was at I was at Dave's house, Dave Chappelle's house, name mm-hmm. drop. And, and we were talking about, it was a bunch of comedians and people that we were talking about saying the wrong city, naming the wrong city on tour or whatever. Have you ever done that? No. You know why? I'm so anxious about that that I write it on a card oh. the, the, and I put it, I make sure that it's on the floor But I be, because I was so nervous about doing that. I really didn't want to do that. So I would be like, right, it's Minneapolis. That's where I, you know what I mean? Or it's <laughs> but now, isn't I mean, it you, weird that like you could do so much comedy. You've got all of this material memorized in your head. You've got all these years of experience in performing. And the thing you'll mess up is the city. Like, the <laughs> well, that's because it's, cause it's changing <laughs> all the time. It yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. changing, you know, yeah. and uh, it, it makes sense because the other stuff you when you've done it enough, it's in your reptile brain. It's like in the part of your brain that's saying, hey, heartbeat and lungs expand and contract. And, right. um, and uh, also, uh, I just got my DNA test back. And then the whole hunk I do about getting my DNA test back, that's all in there because I've said it so many times. And then the thing that changes every night is, whoa, Provo, Utah, you know, this is incredible, <laughs> you know, and you want to make sure that you don't... <laughs> And that's not in that part of the brain. That's in the part of the brain that needs to know that you, uh, you know, whatever, that you, the news that you just heard 10 minutes ago, that you have to remember that. So 100%. And also cities take it very, very personally as if you know the difference. Like, like you really, really care about the difference. One time I said I was in Grand Rapids and I said, hello, Detroit. And you would have thought. I ate a baby on stage. Like, if they were living, they were like, how did you call us Detroit? I'm like, dude, you're the same to me. I don't care. Literally. (laughs) Just being nice, man. I don't care what this town is. (laughs) But you know what I have found? If you do, if you spend, yes, you get so much love if you've put 20 minutes into they, they actually have a statue of Fonzie downtown. Yeah. I remember finding out, and I'd always ask around, and you just ask, like, the lighting guy, and, and you yeah. look up stuff online. And if you just say, like, <laughs> if you know, if you show that you've spent eight seconds thinking about them before you go out there, they're like, how did he know? <laughs> yeah, how yeah, could I, he How could he know that St. Louis has an arch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he knows arch. about our Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. Yeah, we know, man. He's some kind of magical man. (laughs) Yeah. Just, you know, you take that much time. And that's Um, why Trump's president, because he goes down to Iowa and he'll say something like, hey, by the way, I might 
get some corn. Everybody's like, he's gonna get corn. It's like, it's so funny pumped. because I watch him and he kills with his, you know, he kills with his crowds. He kills and, with and his material is he has no material. And I'll, I'll sometimes look at him as just, I'll look at Trump as a comedian and I'll think, yeah. well, he's not a good comedian, but he's sort of like an open mic MC mm. who comes, like, who owns the club, but he's not a comic. But he knows how to go out there and just say things like, oh, boy, hot day here, huh? hot day. Huh? Oh, boy, I sure would like to have some of that great beer that you make, huh? You, did you make that good beer? <laughs> You're like, well, that's not funny. That's nothing. And, yeah, you know, we, yeah. Can, we can send that over to the Democrats. They probably wouldn't be able to hand it. <laughs> because know? it's them. Because it's it's like, it, it, my, you know, Tim Robinson from as well, Used to be last now he was my office mate. He he calls it priest laughs. Yeah, where it's literally the joke a priest will say. Where everybody's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe the priest knows what beer we drink." You know, it's that kind of thing. No yeah. president is ever that horrifyingly normal, <laughs> right? You know, like right. we, it used to be. We don't want a guy that's normal. We want some brilliant dude that's going to be good at this job. It's like now it's like no, no, no. We want the idiot at the end of the bar that talks just like me and says all the things that I say. That doesn't horrify you at all. Like, no, right. this is, it's more endearing now. It's kind of sad <laughs> and scary. Uh, yeah. This guy's, this guy's dumb like me. <laughs> you know, Yay. Like, I got like, to want my doctor to talk like me. Right. I want my doctor to say things that I don't understand. I'm like, okay, this guy must know what he's doing. Or yeah, I don't really know what's going on with you. But you know what? I'll tell you something. I could use a brew right now. You want to go get a brew? Well, no, no. Yeah. There's Every time I shit, there's a lot of blood. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Really? I don't know, man. That sounds rough. Hey, that look at her. Rough. Look at her. Oh, man, she's got a nice figure on her. Let's go bowling sometime. What do you say? No, no, there's a lot of blood. It's mostly blood now. It's all blood. There's no stool anymore. It's just blood. Well, you know, I don't know. Well, well, why don't you take a look at mine? Does mine look normal to you? (laughs) Hey, I like this guy. I think I'm dying. I think it's probably cancer of the bone marrow, but uh, but I like this guy. He he gets me. He gets. He's he's a guy I can hang out with. Hey, Michael, I have uh, kept you for way too long, and I've been I've been doing it just because I'm having such a great time. Man, this Uh, is a blast, dude. Yeah, it it is uh, absolute joy to get to talk to you, and I would love to be a friend of yours. I'd like to hang out with you uh, when we're allowed to all hang out together. You know, that'd be I'd I'd love to. uh, I'd really like to hurt your street cred, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Dude, you know it's so crazy. I want to take you down a few notches. My favorite thing is like that the clip you did uh, on when you went to the Apollo. You went uh-huh. to when you went to, you did when you yep. doing shows at the Apollo sure, yeah. with Dapper Dan and all of yep. that. Man, you you got the pass to go anywhere. You're, you're <laughs> beloved. Oh, that's you're so beloved. sweet. You know what I like People is it makes me it, happy. It was so funny because it's and it's also you're never trying. You're always just being Conan, and it and it's. It comes across and it's amazing to watch. Mm, that's a, coming from you. That is that is incredibly sweet. That's really nice, and that makes my day. It really does. It's, actually, it's that's awesome. gonna make my week. That's gonna make my week. You think so? Um, I think so. Well, it's, actually, it's, yeah. It's Thursday. We don't really. <laughs> it's kind of a short yeah. week. I guess. <laughs> well, that's why I said it makes the week, and I'm not including the weekend. And that gets me through. 
So today gets me through today and then tomorrow. And then I'll hate myself again Saturday morning. Um, Hey, Michael, listen, uh, an absolute honor, a a real honor. And uh, and please uh, be well, stay well and um, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Last week, Conan, you mentioned how your voice is an immediate boner killer and is sterilizing men throughout the world. And you said that you might try reading some erotic fiction as an example of what you mean. Yeah, I think this will prove my point. By the way, I had to come back and put this disclaimer in that some of the language you're going to hear isn't safe for children, although the tone is very safe for children. Here we go. Show me how you pleasure yourself. Keep still. We're going to have to work on keeping you still, baby. Let's see if we can make you come like this. You're so deliciously wet. God, I want you. I'm going to fuck you now, Miss Steele. Hard. Come for me, Anna. Anyone aroused? I don't think so. No. Oh, my God. Here we go. I pull him deeper into my mouth so I can feel him at the back of my throat. No. Bend to the front again. My tongue swirls around the end. I can't. He's my very own Christian Grey-flavored popsicle. I suck harder and harder. Mmm, my inner goddess is doing the meringue with some salsa mood. Here we go some more. Here's the old climax. You're going to take this and like it. Get your hands away from You're a gangster. He leans down and kisses me, his fingers still moving rhythmically inside me, his thumbs circling and pressing. His other hand scoops my hair off my head and holds my head in place. His tongue mirrors the actions of his fingers, claiming me. My legs begin to stiffen as I push against his hand. He gentles his hand, so I'm brought back from the brink. I come instantly again and again, falling apart beneath him. Then I'm building again. I climax anew, calling out his name. Suddenly he grabs me, tipping me across his lap. With one smooth movement, he angles his body, so my torso is resting on the bed beside him. He throws his right leg, not his left, his right, over both mine and plants his left forearm, not the right, but the left, on the small of my back, holding me down so I can move. He places his hand on my naked behind, so there's no clothing on that behind. It's as naked as the day I was born, wearing my birthday suit, I tell you. He's softly fondling me, stroking around and around with his flat palm. And then his hand is no longer there. What happened? Is it a magic trick? Nope. Then he hits me hard. That's right, he hits me, but in a way that's not creepy at all. We lie there, pending together, waiting for our breathing to slow. He gently strokes my hair. Boy, I survived. That wasn't so bad. I'm more stoic than I thought. My inner goddess is prostrate. Well, at least she's quiet. Oh, that's oh, awful. God. That is awful. I want to read. I want to. I want to read. I want to do the audiobook for this. No, that was terrible. Sitting beside me, he gently pulls my sweatpants down, up and down like a whore's drawers. A whore's what? drawers. Wow. What? What does that mean? What is that? A horse? Who's called them drawers in 150 years? <laughs> like a horse drawers, my subconscious remarks bitterly. In my head, I tell her where to go. Christian squirts baby oil into his hand and then rubs my behind with careful tenderness. From makeup remover to soothing balm for a spanked ass. What? Who would have thought it was such a versatile liquid? <laughs> what? What? It sounds like an ad. <laughs> it's a versatile liquid. <laughs> From makeup remover to soothing balm for a spanked ass. Wow, what a versatile liquid. You want some? You can get it here. Order now on Amazon. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, my God. That was traumatizing for me. Here we go. Oh, there's more? Please, I can't stop. He holds out his hand, and in his palm are two shiny silver balls linked with a thick black bead. No. Inside me. 
I gasp, and all the muscles deeply in my belly clench. No. My inner goddess is doing the dance of the seven veils. Oh, my. Now it's a curious feeling. Gotta tell you, when they're inside me, I can't really feel them. No. But then again, I know they're there. Oh, my. Well, I have to keep these. They make me needy. Uh, needy for sex, if I wasn't clear. Yes, the neediness is for sex. What? Wow. I never needed to hear that. Yeah. That was the worst uh, thing that ever happened. No, no, no. I love, I love like, I just love, can I just say, I know enough about this to know that in the last movie they get married and I'm telling you I'm 18 years in a marriage and I'm telling you this is no. <laughs> this, this bullshit ends shortly after the wedding yeah. I'm telling you the fact that they get married and then he's like well let's go upstairs and I'm going to put you in that special leather room Yeah. and I've got these balls that I'm going to place inside your body she, oh. what the fuck are you talking about we're, we've, we're late for the Schlesingers we've got to go I told Connie would be I'd be there what no I just it takes doesn't take that long and you have to be a good girl don't fucking talk to me about this good girl stuff I told you I emailed you this morning and you know we're going to Schlesinger's and we're bringing a pot pie yep I would have been really happy if this never happened yeah well I hope I killed that that uh, popular series for everybody I think so. Yeah, I think you did it. That was awful. Yeah. In every sense of the word. But in a way, I think the way I read it, it's safe for everybody. Like, I could read that to anybody and they they would be no because it doesn't sound sexual at all you know what I mean I take yeah. all the sex out of it you really do yeah it's incredible what my voice can you somehow made it family friendly Ugh. I did I turned it into <laughs> it sounds like I'm reading Ikea instructions you know what I mean it sounds like yeah. I'm reading I might as well be reading a recipe for you know fruit salad or something yeah yeah although I still feel the need to go back and put a little disclaimer something like uh, by the way, I had to come back and put this disclaimer in that some of the language you're going to hear isn't safe for children, although the tone is very safe for children. Yeah, although it's said in such a way, what Conan's about to say is not safe for children, but the way he's saying it has removed all eroticism Yeah, because yeah. of the yeah. uh, boner-killing yep. power of his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Warning, if you are trying to conceive, do not listen to this podcast. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Becton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not.